This is the West Coast Project podcast for Better Call Saul, and I'm Mike, and tonight I'm here with Jamie. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Mike. To check my roster there to see who I was talking to. <laughs> uh, my friend Kelly's a little under the weather, so thank you for filling in. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. This is 10650 uh, on Better Call Saul, and um, I wrote down my first impression was it's the long dark night of the mic. Oh yeah, I mean that's a perfect way to put it. It was so noir. Yeah, and I like the way this episode was told. It was, it seemed like it was told better than in story form than it could have been told like in a, if it was just portrayed in in the video or in the episode itself. Mike telling the story made it really magical. Yeah, I agree with you. I just I love the way this thing was done. Um, I feel like the way that it was shot was really very, very, very different. Different than the episodes of Better Call Saul so far. It was kind of cinematic in a way. It was a little Hitchcockian in a way. It was very noir, uh, very film noir. I, I loved it. Yeah, so f- for first of all, the name of it, 5-0, I guess means police in, in the police code vernacular. Yeah, that's right. That's how they got the name. Um, and we're back on the O track. This they they were talking about how this um, this series was going to try to do every season, every episode in season one ending in O, and they lost that um, streak last week when they did Alpine Shepherd Boy because they couldn't use Jello. But they're back on the O's with five O. Well, that's. I, I think it's really cute that they try to do this little gimmicky, um, gimmicky things, and I think sometimes it adds a little, a little bit of background um, enjoyment for the viewer. And I think the, I think the writers actually enjoy it even more than we do. Yeah. So Jamie, Jamie, let's give ourselves a plug. You and I do the Americans. That's how that's how we connected, and we um, we're really having fun with that series too. So if you're listening to this, you might like the Americans. Who knows, right? Yeah, well, I mean, especially this episode of Better Call Saul, if you like the dark stuff, <laughs> you'll probably like, and if you like good writing, I mean, honestly, um, The Americans is is a fantastic series. It's so well written. The things that drew me to Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul are the things that make me love The Americans. Yeah, lots of heady thought behind each each episode. I really like The Americans, too. Okay, so let's get into this one. The train comes into town, train's pulling into Albuquerque, and we kind of get the train's point of view down the train tracks. It looked like an old-school 1980s almost shot of, uh, I know it's not quite that far back, but looked it looked kind of dated when Mike came off that train. Yeah, it did. It looked great. But I, I have to say, I loved that shot so much. And it was um, very kind of, I don't know, it was recollective of um, of the train robbery episode on Breaking Bad because that's exactly the angle that the train track was on. That's the that's the angle they shot that train from. You know, except from, I mean, they shot it sometimes from the front or from the side, but the original shot was that track from from exactly that angle. So I think that was like a little wink um, to the viewers, to the fans. Um, and I loved it. I just, I thought it was fantastic. Cinematic and just beautiful and color, just really saturated with color. It was, it was beautiful. Yeah, I, f- I think it was, was it Colin Buxy or did this one? The director, he he's uh, he's done whoever it was. I think it was Colin. He did he's done many of these, and he's really a great. I mean this this one was just put together really really cool. I agree with you. It was so different. 
So if it's not Colin Bucks, I'm sorry for whoever it was, but um, it was cool. But Mike pulls into town. He meets his daughter-in-law, Stacy. Stacy's the girl we saw in the other episode that he kind of cased from across the street, and they they exchanged cold stares, right, um, from their cars. But that's Stacy's daughter-in-law. We're going to learn a lot about them in this episode. This is like Mike Central. This episode's all about Mike. Yeah. Not yeah. much Saul. We see a little bit of Saul coming up, but it's mostly Mike. Yeah. Um, so Mike comes in. He's sitting at the station. All he's got is his duffel bag. His whole life is in a duffel bag and, and his head, I guess. And he sits down and he looks like he's kind of hurting, hurting. And we can see him weighing this decision. Like, Jamie, have you ever had this decision? Like, you know, somebody's going to meet you somewhere and you look at, like, do I have enough time to get into the bathroom and out before the person comes? Did yeah. you get that impression that Mike was weighing that decision? Like, should I go or should I wait for her? Yeah. I mean, and that's just a great, great acting um, that Jonathan Banks does. He's so good. And, um, you know, he's that kind of actor that's so good that you can see what his character is supposed to be thinking without him having to say a word. Yeah, really, really cool. So he goes, uh, goes to the common entrance to both the girls and boys bathroom and he looks at the girl's side and pretends he's the janitor and goes in and gets a sanitary napkin and um right after that he could kind of hint at what he was going to do right it's like it's for his pain he's got a wound he's got a bullet wound in his shoulder that's right and uh really dark somber music as he applies this and the pain on his face is just you could feel this pain through the screen right oh yeah puts this puts this this napkin on it to absorb the blood and boy Mike and Mike also has the skin of like a 80 year old crocodile yeah that's right he's 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 an old codger and you can tell he's an old crusty tough leathery codger but he guts it out and goes out to ride with Stacy um and it was an interesting camera angle as he walked out of that train station too it's kind of from the floor up as he walks out and um I don't know. Made it made it kind of look like Mike was powerful, even though he was in pain. He still seemed sort of powerful in this whole scene. Well, I I don't know. You know, um, the way that Mike is written, he's he's always powerful. Like in my opinion, he always comes off as being you know just in charge of of everything. You can never catch him with his pants down, so to speak. Even in the bathroom, can't catch exactly. him with his pants down. So, exactly. He goes to Kaylee and uh, Stacy's house, Kaylee, the granddaughter that we know from Breaking Bad, and he's pushing her on the swing. Jamie, did these numbers work for you with Kaylee's age? Kaylee's the same, looks the same here as she did when she was in Breaking Bad, and this is like six years earlier. All right, so um, she looks a little bit younger, but not young enough. All right, so if we stretch it to the limit, say she's like four in this scene do you think she was 10 or 11 can it does a kid 10 or 11 still play on swings um you know breaking I, bad yeah age? i don't know i think they kind of fudged it a little bit i i really do kind of think they fudged it a little um kids 10 11 do play on swings but she doesn't look like she's 10 or 11 in breaking bad so she would really have to be almost in like a toddler Maybe two 
you know, something like that, uh, maybe three in this uh, in this series. And she's certainly older than that. She's probably four in this series, um, just judging by how she looked. So yeah, it's a little it's a little iffy on the. I wonder numbers. if I wonder if it's the same actress for Kaylee in both. Oh no no no! It can't be. And by the way, um, the the little girl who played uh, Kaylee in Breaking Bad is Jonathan Banks's actual granddaughter. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Well, Mike has this uncomfortable talk with Stacy. They both kind of say they're okay. Kate, Kaylee misses her daddy and still talks about her daddy, this guy Matt, um, Mike's son. Um, and Mike says he's there for the duration, um, that he's better now and he's sorry it took so long. And it, that kind of is a dark implication of something. But we're going to learn that's um, related to his problems with alcohol, I think, right? Oh, I didn't take it to be problems with alcohol. I took it to be problems with Matt, with Matt being gone. Hmm. I, I, maybe he started drinking because of Matt being gone, but I, I never took... Um, I never took Mike to be a person who had a drinking problem. I don't know. Maybe I missed something. I don't know. Yeah, that was. That's. I have questions about that. But so let's let's tackle them as we get to it. So Mike says, I'm, "I want to be here for you and your family, you and Kaylee and my family. Sorry, you be here for my family." Um, but Stacy needs to know how Matt died and why he was different right before he died. Yeah. Um, she said he was moody, didn't eat, he didn't sleep well, and he snapped at her for for things. Um, she knows something's up, right? She knows it's just like, t- she says even tough guys, this is more than just tough guys don't cry. Um, but Mike doesn't want to tell her the real reason. Why do you think Mike was holding back on this real reason? Well, I mean... You know, I think it's apparent later, and I think when we get to the scene that kind of reveals, um, you know, the rest of the story, the, the full extent of what happened, um, we can talk about it. But I, if if I had to say it just kind of, you know, really in a general way right now, I would say that he didn't want to face it. He didn't want to talk about it. Um, he was ashamed, and it was painful. Yeah, I didn't like this. I didn't like Mike doing this. Yeah. He was keeping her from an answer that would have brought her some solution to this trouble she had. Uh, I don't know. I didn't like it. But um, she talks about a call that Matt had at 2.30 one morning, three days before he died. He was really into it with whoever he was talking to. He was angry and intense. And Matt wouldn't talk to Stacy about it, but she thinks it was to, to Mike, to him. And Mike denies it. Mike says it could have been a CI or a case. Just don't beat yourself up. You know, Maddie's gone. Think about the future. You can't do much about the past. I did not like this when Mike did this. Yeah, I didn't like it either. Um, you know, I, you could kind of tell that he was hiding something, but I didn't think that he was hiding as much as he was hiding when he said it. But when it was revealed, I, I'm like you. I, I was really disappointed. Yeah, Stacy. No, Stacy's smart. She disbelieves him right here at this point. She cuts everything short. The conversation's over. She makes an excuse about putting Kaylee to dinner in bed, and that's it. She cuts it all off. And Mike offers to drop by later, and but that gets no answer from Stacy. She's really cold to him after this. I think she knows he's lying. And then he gets a cab home or to wherever, and just cab away from her. 
and she doesn't even know where he's going. I mean, it was a very cold scene, right? Here he is coming into town. He's at her house. He has nowhere to go, and she doesn't offer, oh, sleep on the couch, or, you know, she's pretty cold to him. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems like he's been out of her life for a while, I guess several months maybe, and, you know, who knows how close they were before that, and, um, yeah, I mean, she doesn't seem too family-friendly. Odd that he gets her to pick, or she offers or whatever, I don't know how that plan was made, to pick him up at the train station, though. Yeah, I don't know. That was a weird scene. I, you know, when I when when they first showed it, um, I thought, you know, he's meeting her there. They seem familiar. I didn't realize who it was at the time. Um, they seem to know each other. I thought maybe it was his daughter, um, you know, who just called him Mike, <laughs> you know. Um, and, um, you know, then realizing it was his daughter-in-law, I thought, you know, the level of closeness of the relationship seemed sort of appropriate. But... There was some subtext there. There was some kind of something there that we didn't see or understand, and um, you know, and then to see later and to to kind of get the the you know the understanding of the full story of it later, um, you know, it informed that whole scene, you know, kind of retroactively. Yeah. So he gets this cabbie. Francisco is the cabbie's name. How asks him how well he knows Albuquerque, and of course, cabbies know all the good stuff, right? And, uh, right. finds him a crooked veterinarian to sew up that lizard skin of his. And um, for $500, he gets his bullet wound sewn. But that there are no slings at the vet office. <laughs> yeah, he's got a cone. <laughs> Turns him down on the cone. So, Jamie, what's the genealogy chart of this veterinarian? Who is he connected to? It's got to be somebody, right? Gus or some other criminal elements that get Mike fast-tracked here into Albuquerque. Okay, so that's I, I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking like who's the guy connected to because he's offering Mike a hookup. He's offering him a job. You know, that's not your typical vet. And that's not even a vet who's afraid of the people he works with. That's a vet who's really comfortable in his element. His way he's like stupidly comfortable offering this you know, to a guy he doesn't really know from a cab driver referral. Yeah, pretty ballsy for him to start offering connections and get people to get you work. And we'll see. I guess I, it could be interesting. It's certainly interesting up to this point. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I do think that knowing uh, Vince Gilligan and crew, um, they have got their um, Bible, as it's called, uh, planned very well. I think they've got the backstory uh, down pat, and I think that the um, that the characters that we're meeting, um, that we're going to discover uh, how how interestingly they're intertwined for years to come. Um, because if I know anything about Vince Gilligan, um, it is that he is all about the story, and um, he doesn't pull any punches. And this 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 is a prequel. And so it's really all about the relationships and how those unfold. So I'm, I'm looking forward to finding out everybody. And, and, and you called it because there's no way that that vet um, is just going to be there once and gone. He's not a one-off character. We're going to find something else. Well, we're learning so much about Mike's backstory that we know how now what happened to him in Philadelphia and how he emerged in Albuquerque. We've got to see how he emerges into the underworld of the Albuquerque crime scene. And this yeah. looks like the the square one of that. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think it's I think it's great. I think that's one of the reasons why I really loved um, this episode so much because I really wanted to get Mike out of that booth, <laughs> and um, this was a great foray into his life. Absolutely. So next, Mike's at the cop station with the Philly dudes that were in an episode or two ago where he said, you're far from home and you are too. So he knows them from Philadelphia. And all he will say to them is the word lawyer. Um, They're good copying him. They're trying to be friendly with him. But he keeps repeating lawyer, lawyer, lawyer until Jimmy shows. He slides the card of of Jimmy. uh, Jimmy slash Saul. And he shows up. Now, he comes in like the Breaking Bad whirlwind that we know and love. So he's starting to evolve a little bit, too. Yeah. Well, he's found his first persona. It's this Matlock-esque uh, <laughs> attorney who's the, you know, attorney to the seniors, attorney to the elderly, will maker. <laughs> I don't think he whirls around in the old folks home, like in the Matlock suit, like he does here in the police station, though. No, no, you're right. You're right. He's, it's like, uh, you know, by degrees, like he's getting a little bit more expressive and Saul-esque, if you will. Um, like every time we see him now. He's still pretty clearly in the student part of his career, but he's uh, he's much more rambunctious in the in the real world than he is in the old folks home. He's kind of cutesy in the old folks home, you know. He's not as he's not as edgy, I don't think. Okay, well, yeah, but I mean, you know, but that's Saul. I mean, that's like, well, Jimmy, Jimmy comes Saul. Um, he's, you know, that's how he is. He is appropriate to um, the occasion. You know, just to, I mean, remember him uh, in his first episode uh, or second episode, maybe. No, I think it's the first episode, Breaking Bad, um, when he gets brought out to the desert. And he's, he's saying, is, is this Lalo? Is this Lalo? That when he's, you know, he is appropriate to his audience. And so I think, you know, the old folks home, he can't be swirling around there with, you know, the game show face. He's got to be a little bit playing to his audience there the old people who are eating the jello so yeah that's a perfect description he plays to his audience for sure yeah so he asked mike what happened what the hell happened and mike tells him about the coffee spill scam he wants him to pull doesn't really want his attorney skills he wants him to spill coffee right um so when the cops come back in spill some lukewarm coffee on them it's hardly assault just call it an accident and um, Jimmy seems really overly concerned with this. Like, he's really trying to be on the super up and up. Like, he won't even pull a little stunt like this because it's, it's not on the up and up. He's, he's really trying to toe the line. Well, I mean, okay, so here's, here's the deal. Jimmy and Saul, they have their limits. I mean, you know, this is a guy, this good Jimmy right now he's he's in this he's in he's in this form um right now he he's a guy who wants to do the right thing i think life puts him in circumstances where the right thing can end up being something that's not quite above board but he typically tries to toe the line he just doesn't always quite reach it, and and he's got and he's got his own morality. I mean, I don't think he he quite follows exactly the letter of the law. I think he follows the spirit of the law more than anything. <laughs> so, how, Jamie, how is this notebook? How is stealing this notebook going to do anything for Mike? How's it going to stop anything or tell him anything new that he doesn't already know? 
Well, I mean, okay, so it did tell him a few things he didn't know. I think what Mike needed was to find out what that cop knew exactly. And his notebook had everything on Mike that that Mike needed. And that's what he wanted. He wanted to know what the guy was thinking, what he was strategizing, where he was finding Mike, how he was following him, what the tales were, how frequent they were. All of that was in that notebook and um, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So including the information about his daughter-in-law calling. Yeah, maybe that was the main thing that he, that he knew his daughter-in-law called them, although he just asks her, asks her later and she tells him so much. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think he was looking for something specific. I think he needed that notebook, though, because he wanted to know what the cop knew. All right. Well, Jimmy needs the whole story, so start at the beginning, Book of Genesis, and he gets the story from the detectives. Um, and one detective, I didn't catch his name, but he says, Detective Sanders and I worked for the Philadelphia PD. Mike worked there 30 years. His son, Matt, was a two-year rookie. Nine months ago, there was an incident. Um, Matt and the other officer, Troy Hoffman, were partners, and this uh, Sergeant Fenske was their backup, was like their sergeant backing them up. And Hoffman and Fenske are the, turn out to be these bad guys. Um, we don't quite know that yet, but the three of them, Matt, Hoffman, and Fenske, were ambushed, and Matt was killed, but there aren't any su- suspects. Um, and then three months, or sometime after that, three months ago, Hoffman and Fenske were also killed in an ambush. So we learn the ins and outs of, of that basic story for the rest of this episode. But, the, but these detectives think Mike, Mike might know something. I think they suspect more than that about Mike, but they're trying to be good cops with him, like I said. And um, they're trying to prompt him into talking about something. But uh, Mike doesn't reveal much. He says he saw them at that bar. And um, I think he's trying to portray himself as an ex-alcoholic at this point. Um, You didn't get that, though, huh, about the alcoholic part? I didn't. And I could be missing something. Um, But when we get to the bar scene, I'll tell you what I noticed in the bar scene. Okay. Well, the night after that incident where Hoffman and Fenske were killed, he moved to Albuquerque, which isn't the most innocent-seeming thing. But um, Jimmy ends the interview at this point and spills, does spill the coffee, even though he, did not, he, he rejects the idea at first. Uh, I, he may have just decided this at the last minute to do this coffee scam. And Mike um, pretends to brush the coffee off the guy's suit and grabs the notebook out of his pocket. Um, so next, do you have anything else about that scene that you have any comments on? Oh, um, no, other than that, I thought it was really cool sleight of hand and I was really glad that Jimmy spilled the coffee. (laughs) Yeah. Jimmy kind of comes on over to Mike's side. Yeah. Interesting in the car, Jimmy and Mike have some time in the car and Jimmy says, you know, they think you killed those cops. He reads right through this too, right to the point. And then we see Mike flipping through the notebook. Did, so what did you catch in that notebook, Jamie? You, you rattled off a few things. What was, what, what was the most important thing you think that you caught in there? Well, I mean, that I saw the note, um, the page of notes that related to Mike. And there was one in particular that was really prominent on the screen that was just noting, um, you know, that Mike had left uh, one day later, left uh, Philadelphia. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. that Stacy had moved, and but the next, I think you're right about this this fact that Stacy had called them because that's the very next thing Mike does. Right. Um, he calls her and goes over there, and he's angry. Right. He's he asks her if she called the cops. She admits that she did to help catch this killer of her husband Matt. Right. Um, and then we get a little bit more about the story. Stacy says she found some hidden money in a suitcase lining or something, five or six thousand um, dollars. And somewhere in here, I wrote down Matt Mike was a bad drinker back then. I don't know if I got. The, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into that drinking part of it, but it seems like that's important for some reason to me. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, or maybe maybe not. But. Um, Mike defends Matt's honor and admits that the late night call that Matt made was to him. So he does come clean with Stacy about this. And his biggest message to Stacy is that Matt wasn't dirty. Don't ever think my son was dirty, a dirty cop. Right. So he, this really cool photography here now in this next scene, as he walks away from Stacy's angrily back to his car or wherever he goes, it, it switches mid-stride to a, to a scene in the Philadelphia streets. That was so cool, the way they did that photography fade. fade I'm up. so impressed with that. I, 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 I was so impressed with the way this thing was shot. And in fact, um, I, was, I was getting ready to look it up, and I, I can't because I'm trying to talk it talk with you at the same time but if you can look at i don't know if you can um type into your computer and and look up and see who it is that directed this episode i'd be really really curious to know um who who did the 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 direction on this thing because the the camera angles were fantastic and let me know if it was ryan johnson i know it wasn't ryan johnson it wasn't i'm pretty sure it's colin buxy oh adam bernstein directed this one Huh. He, I, I, I wrongly indicated Colin Buxy, but Adam Bernstein directed this one, and he has directed other ones too. But yeah, killer, killer, sh- killer episode for just this cool scene of walking across the street, one city, and ending up in another city mid stride. It was so neat. It was so neat. I mean, this thing, the, the, some of the, the, the camera angles and the shots and I mean all of it was so very different and I mean just really I like a real meld of like more than one genre almost it was very 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 cool I would not be surprised to find this particular episode uh submitted for awards consideration Bernstein did um Half measures, box cutter, hazard pay. So a number of different breaking pads. Half measures was a really cool one with Mike. Yeah, half measures. That's um, yeah. Those you, those all the ones that you named are like really really dark. Uh, breaking Bad episodes, ones that had a lot of real serious heavy heavy stuff that they dealt with and real emotional kind of backstory type stuff. So um, Mike goes to this, after the cool crossing the street scene, he goes, it's a flashback to the bar in Philadelphia. Um, And before he goes into the bar, he pulls this cool trick with the string, right? Unlocks the police lock, the the locked door of the back seat of the police car and puts, puts something in there. We don't know what it is yet, but we find out later it's this gun that he plants in there. 
Um, so he has a real plan here, Jamie. He's thought this out well out. He didn't doesn't just go to a bar, get drunk, and say what's on his mind. He's got this step-by-step step all planned out. That's right. That's right. And he's not drunk. We're not done with Adam Bernstein yet either because there's some very, very cool music and there's a cool trick that comes up here. But outside, while he's doing this trick with the car door, we hear Credence, cool Credence music, Credence Clearwater. Clearwater. And as he goes in to the bar and starts having a few drinks, we hear this vague 38 special, kind of in the back, muddy-sounding, muddled-sounding um, music that we can't really tell what it is till it fades in a little bit. It's a, it's a really cool fade-in disassociation from reality, almost like through a drinking haze how you would hear this music on a jukebox or something. Yes, just another another touch in this episode that just made it. There were moments in this episode that were revelatory. I mean, like you, you're watching it, and then all of a sudden you realize you're seeing something special. So this, I'm going to take from this music trick by again Adam Bernstein. Sorry for not getting you out right off the bat, producing this that or directing this that it implies that he's kind of drunk, but maybe not totally under the table drunk. And and this is like his mind clearing. I took it like the the music fading into or coming into focus, coming into clarity on the on the soundtrack for this episode made him focus his thoughts like he's he's drunk a little bit but not too drunk to achieve what he really needs to do yeah i agree with you i agree with you because he sharpens up and he walks over to these guys and he hugs these two guys hoffman and fence gear in the bar and he hugs them and gives them the michael the fredo i knew it was you (laughs) (laughs) i know it was you very fredo michael the fredo like that was so cool yeah, that was really cool. And it was um, a, a really fresh take on that because there was nothing about that that felt stale. It was so in the moment. Just when you're realizing that's the cool thing that they did with the music, you're realizing that he's intoxicated and you're realizing that there's something here is turning. You don't quite know what it is. And then, boom, it hits you. It was Beautiful. So on the on the boards of forums and stuff, um, they people are talking about like Mike's alcohol consumption. That now he did drink in Breaking. But some people said he never drank. We never saw him drink, but we did see him drink. He he yeah. drank with Walter when he tried to talk Walter into letting him find Gus so he could kill him. Oh yeah, no, no, Mike. I mean, Mike drank plenty uh on breaking bad there was he's not an alcoholic that's not um i think a part of this at all i think that if mike was over drinking in this uh particular segment of his life it was because he had just lost his son it was a really fresh loss but mike's drinking in this episode part of it was real part of it was put on yeah, for sure. He's very strategic in this episode, this plot in this bar. He's definitely not drunk. He, he appears drunk. He's wanting to look drunker and drunker, and he gets that way at closing time till the point, to the point where he's the last one in the bar. And he uh, Now, this is how long of a scam this was, Jamie. He tells the bartender he's sold his car, he's walking, he's going to head off to Albuquerque. Now, if he doesn't pull this plan off tonight... He can't just leave and go to Albuquerque. This has to work the way he wants it to tonight. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. But he knows it will because these guys, after hearing Mike say that, after hearing him say, I know it was you, they're going to kill him. I mean, he's, his death is waiting for him outside the doors of that bar. Yeah, so Hoffman and Fenske pick him up. They, he's stumbling along the street. And now they have their plan. They're probably much, much less intelligently put together plan and much more hastily put together. Um, but they help him into the car with the, under the guise of, we'll help you get a ride home. It's too cold to walk. And Fenske frisks him and finds this gun in his pocket and takes it from him. And they kind of drive off. Now Mike hammers this nail home farther and farther, Jamie. That he knows you that they killed Matt. You were scared. You staged like a junkie with a gun. I know it was you, and I'm going to prove it. He really, he's really making sure that they do what they do. Right? They're going to stop and pretty much try to put Mike away at this point. Absolutely. So they do that. They stop in some back alley somewhere in the cold Philadelphia streets, and Mike super nimbly gets the stashed gun from the back seat of the car. He's not drunk at all, obviously, because he's really, really sharp when he does this. Um, and then he kind of fades back into the drunk acting mode, and these guys, Hoffman and Fenske, take him out of the car and discuss the plan. He's better off this way anyway. They're talking about making it look like a suicide. And... Um, Fenske is really serious, but Hoffman looks like rookie-ish, right? He looks really nervous at this point, the younger guy. Right. That was Matt's partner. Um, and Mike comes right back to sober life. Like, that's pretty smart. That's what I'd do. Suicide's a good plan. But he's, uh, he's kind of kidding because he's got this gun pointed at them now. Exactly. So Fenske fires the gun that he took away from Mike at Mike, and it's empty. Of course, perfectly planned out by Mike. And Mike shoots back with the real gun that he had planted and wounds Fenske and kills Hoffman right away. Uh, but Fenske does get a shot off at Mike and wounds him in the shoulder, that shoulder injury he has. And Mike just kind of wounds him and then eventually walks up and just executes him. But that guy got what he deserved. That Absolutely. Guy, that guy was horrible. Yeah, it was it was rough to watch, though. It was really, really a tough scene to watch because it brought back memories of Hank and Hank being shot, um, you know, kind of laying on the ground and having the ex- executioner come up and, and, and put one in him. Um, Even you know, the point of stopping him with their foot, with his foot, don't crawl away any further, I'm stopping you with my foot. Yeah, yeah. It was very reminiscent of Hank. And although I love callbacks like that... Um, Spoiler alert. <laughs> I I still miss Hank, so, you know, it was kind of hard for me. <laughs> Hank was a rookie in the FBI at this point in his career, probably. No, I don't know. DEA, man, DEA. DEA, sorry. <laughs> but what a cold, shitty way to die in the middle of the night on a Philadelphia street, ice cold with snow on the ground and nobody there to help you or see you. Yeah, they Pretty earned brutal. it. They earned it. It was poetic, and and at least now their terrible, dirty souls get to remember that they had a glorious death. Pretty clean caper, though, Mike. There's nothing to tie Mike to anything back through this. Yep, excellent. He's he's. That's why we love Mike. Mike has got a little bit of magic in his pocket. He leaves town the next day. That's not terribly brilliant, but there's really no no evidence. I don't think that ties him to anything. Well, you know, and this is this is Mike's downfall. You know, Mike 
makes stupid mistakes when it comes down to the people he loves. You know, he got caught so many times with dirty money because of wanting to put away money for Kaylee. He gets caught now, and he looks really suspicious because he's trying to take care of business for Matt, and he and he can't do both. He can't be Super Mike, the guy that has all the powers and knows things he's not supposed to know and can do things people can't do, and still be Matt's dad at the same time, Matt's grieving dad. Something's got to win, and Mike's heart wins in those moments, and that's when you see his cracks. A little bit about a little bit of the similarities to Walt there too. Like Walt wanted in Breaking Bad, Walt needed to do things to help other people, his family, because he was going to leave them with nothing and but debt. And he tried to do the right thing, but it spiraled into something way wrong. Yeah, yeah. Well. So we talked about Jamie at the beginning. We talked about how the exposition of the story was interesting, but the way that Mike tells the story, to me anyway, seemed way more interesting. So we're going to shift from that mode now of watching what happened to hearing Mike explain both to Stacy and essentially to us as viewers what what the whole reason behind all this was, which was really cool, this next scene with Stacy. Um, and he, he basically says that cops need to take a taste of the, of, the, of the spoils of their jobs, right? Go along to get along. Um, like killing Caesar, everyone's guilty. Yeah. And that the worst thing Matt did was to act, was to be uh, honest because it made the other guys afraid of him and suspicious of him. So, so what happened is Fenske turned Hoffman. Hoffman was a young guy, too. And Fenske, the sergeant, turned him. And then Hoffman tried to get Matt involved. And Matt did not want to get involved. And Mike was the one who told his son to get, him, to get in on the take. Cops fear prison more than anything. And if you don't get in on the take, they're going to fear you. And you're going to be in a little bit of trouble. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he tried to turn him right away. <laughs> Matt, Matt wouldn't listen. He, he, Mike relates this to Stacy that my boy was strong, and I did it too. I was on the take too. Mike was on the take too. And he tells her how Matt put him up on a pedestal, but he really didn't deserve the pedestal. He was down in the street in the dirt with the rest of them. And then he says, I broke my boy. Really, really. God, Jonathan Banks really killed this scene with Stacy. He really killed it. I mean, if he if he doesn't get an Emmy nomination for that scene alone, I don't know what. I, there's no justice. If he, I mean, that is the finest. And I've been watching this guy since Wise Guy days. I've been watching this guy. This is the finest acting I've seen him do. It was heart wrenching. It was just. It was beautiful. So I guess the, to just end this little story because. Even though Matt bro- broke and took the graft from this, the, took the money from these guys, they couldn't trust him because he took too long to do it. So Stacy asks Mike, "Well, if they killed Maddie, who killed them?" And Mike says, "Well, you know what happened. The question is, can you live with it?" Pretty brilliant way. The writers, so wh- you know, whoever was in charge of this main episode, whoever wrote this, is pretty brilliant way to end it. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, he said just enough. He didn't say too much. He didn't overkill it. Um, you know that the lines weren't overkill. The writing wasn't overkill. The acting was pitch perfect. Um, 
nothing was overdone. It was all exactly right. And um, I agree with you. Perfect. Perfect way to end that scene. So, Jamie, is this why Stacy doesn't like Mike? Why, why doesn't Stacy like Mike? Why, why, well, first of all, why, is he, why did he case her house? And what's going on there? I don't know. I, I have a feeling we'll find out more. Um, I think that, that they're just not particularly close. I think that they may have been somewhat closer or more cordial before we ever meet them you know, before Matt dies. Um, but, and I think that their relationship is polite enough, you know, in the future and breaking bad time. Um, but I think that right now is a really bad time and she, you know, doesn't trust him because he wasn't trustworthy. I mean, because she he lied to her. Yeah. Do you, did we see Stacy in breaking bad ever? Do we see? Kate we did. Mom? We did. I, I don't know that it was the same actress because we always saw her from a long distance away, but she would be out there collecting Kaylee when, uh, on occasion, when Kaylee would come home with with Pop Pop. Okay. Hmm. Pretty interesting. What you know? Why this? Like, why would Mike, Mike just checking on them? Like, watching from across across the street, making sure they're okay. I don't know. It's so mysterious. Yeah, yeah, it just, you know, and, and that could all be about keeping them safe, because who knows who's watching, you know, Mike, who knows, you know, what friends are on the force, you know, that crooked force, uh, that crooked department that, you know, may be wanting to take revenge. And so maybe it's just a kind of, you know, wanting things to be safe kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, Fenske's cronies, like Mike's yeah. a loose end if they if he knows it. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Doesn't I mean Mike gets pretty far into the future in Breaking Bad though without seeming to worry. He's not looking over his shoulder very often. Yeah, it turns out he was if he was watching over his shoulder, he was watching for the wrong folks. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, Jamie, next week is 107 Bingo. Thank you so much for filling in uh for oh, Kelly. My pleasure. Again, feel feel better, Kelly, and it was great, Mike. Thanks. All right, Jamie, hang on loosely. All right, thanks. But don't let go.